I'm Chris. I'm Jeremy. And when Steven started hearing strange noises coming from his bathroom late at night, he thought it must have just been some old pipes, or maybe Taco Tuesday come to take its toll. But he would soon realize he was listening to Haunted. Haunted by Ghosts. Haunted by Ghosts is a Patreon-requested podcast where Jeremy and myself will be covering the 2018 Netflix series, The Haunting of Hill House, not the 1959 novel by Shirley Jackson. Uh, listeners can request special episodes by signing up at a certain tiers on our Patreon at patreon.com slash of the week. But if you're hearing this, you probably already know that. Um, thank you to Eric and Autumn for requesting uh, Hill House, and thanks to everyone else on Patreon for supporting us so we can do cool episodes like this. Absolutely. Thank you very much, guys. Um, it's... And I, and I kind of want to say, too, like Haunted by Ghosts is going to be similar to Don't Give Up Space Cowboy, where we we cover one thing first, uh, but it's also like the opportunity for us to cover more things in the genre. So mm-hmm. uh, if you if you do this and you like Haunted by Ghosts and you want us to do more genre horror, like more more things in the horror genre, um, like there, did you know there's a new creep show? series i didn't know that no i didn't yeah there's I a didn't. new there's a whole new creep show series that uh, i've been downloading but i haven't had a chance to watch yet but you know anthology stuff is so interesting to me so i'd, I'd love for mm-hmm. us to be able to cover more of that stuff and for sure usually when people from the patreon request like a couple of request us to cover something it's very similar to like the way we did full metal alchemist brotherhood where we recover a few, a few episodes um mm-hmm. eric and autumn joined forces captain planet like and requested the <laughs> entire series so <laughs> So we yeah, we are we are going to cover all eight episodes, um, and the format's going to be a little different for this podcast, right? Yeah, normally when we cover supernatural or really anything else that we've ever covered, we take like scene by scene notes while we're watching something. But I figured with with Hill House, with so many of the episodes sort of bleeding into each other, with the time skips going back into the past, covering the future, um, it would be easier or maybe more effective to just discuss the episodes just in a general sense rather than doing a, a play-by-play. Uh, and with that being said, um, going forward as we, we do the next few episodes of this podcast, we wanted people to reach out to us on Patreon or, or Discord and um, provide their, um, their feedback in a way like, hey, can you guys talk about XYZ? You didn't discuss this pivotal moment that I really liked. Can you talk about this? Or did you see that thing in the background of this episode? You know, things like that. Um, because since this is going to be a general discussion that leaves more, you know, chance for us to miss something that you want to hear about. Yes. Um, and also like if you, if you want to have that conversation, you don't have to, and, and we've already talked about episode one and two, you don't have to wait. Like, uh, you can just go ahead and send it to us and we will, we'll go back to stuff in episode one and two. The series overlays itself in a really, in a way that it's, it's real easy for us to go back and talk about things because it's going to be constantly revisiting the past and the middle past and also the present like it's the, the series bounces all over the place for that so don't be afraid if you're if you just pick this up and the, we've already done four episodes like go ahead and send it in and we'll we'll still be able to talk about stuff from episode yeah. one and two definitely um on this episode we're covering episodes one and two which is steven sees a ghost and open casket those are the names of the episodes um but 
I think going forward after this episode, we might consider doing um, a little bit more of a spoilery discussion where, like Jeremy is saying, so much of what happens later bleeds into what's happening now that it can be beneficial to discuss them as a you know broad series rather than just as these individual episodes. But we're not we're not going to do that for this episode, and it's not a sure thing for the next episode. But if you you want to watch ahead with this episode or with this series, not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, I want to take just a second before we get into the show itself uh, to talk about the uh, writer and the director, Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Um, that dude is uh, like becoming like a premier horror guy. He's the guy that uh, directed Doctor Sleep, which I think is out as of this recording this week, and is getting some pretty good reviews. Doctor Sleep is a sequel to the shining that stephen king wrote mm-hmm. which when i heard that what that was i was like stephen king what the fuck are you doing that's the dumbest idea ever yeah. and is one of my favorite stephen king books now like it's it's such a really great book and i'm really it's so funny seeing an adaptation of it it's so funny seeing film people like freak out and be like why would you make a sequel to like one of the best movies ever made it's like oh actually it's based on a book <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> Um, and I also want to call out like a, a movie that probably not a lot of people know about, um, or actually two. I've not watched Hush. I think you've watched Hush and you like it. Hush right? is great. I didn't. I did not realize that was him. Yeah, and then um, and I think he edited that. So maybe I'm done with looking at his IMDb. It just showed Hush on the thing, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. But it just shows edited by. Um, but I watched just randomly Ouija uh, Origin of Evil which is a sequel to another like Ouija board scary movie thing that was not very good. But I watched this one, which is, excuse me, a prequel to that. Uh Um, And it is very creepy and atmospheric. Like if if you dig Haunted of Hill House, uh, Origin of Evil is actually really, really great. So go check that out. Cool. Cool. Um, Speaking of creepy, Jeremy, I wanted to get you into the spirit, the haunted by ghost spirit um, by having you tell me, a little, uh, little personal ghostly encounter of your own. Now, I know you're not, you're not a, you're not a ghost guy in 2019, but, but no, young Jeremy, yeah, he was vulnerable. You know, he didn't know. I'm very much a Steve. I'm very much a Steve from Hill House, uh, as far as uh-huh, ghosts are concerned. Uh-huh. My eyes are tightly closed and my mind is open. Um, I uh, so the closest I ever got to like literal ghost stories is um, there was a persistent rumor in Ruston, louisiana which is the town that i was from um and but and like if you're thinking louisiana like new orleans creepy cemeteries it's nothing like that it's basically south arkansas it's just hills and, and woods <laughs> and a bunch of rednecks talk like this it's yeah. it's not a cool place to, to grow up if you're a nerd um but hanging out with some dude there was a persistent rumor about a uh, a ghost pig or a ghost hog what? <laughs> so there was a spot uh where you could you only could go out there at night um, you would go out there and you would call the pig and the pig would come to you and you would see a ghost pig. Um, and you, the way that you called the pig was the way you called any pig, which was like you yelled out. Um, mm-hmm. So cue 14 year old Jeremy, um, maybe, maybe younger than 14. I could be like 13, 14, 15. My, I had older cousins that had driver's license, which is how we were doing all of the stuff mm-hmm. without our parents notice. Um, so it had to be in that era, like that early teen era where I, could still get scared by this stuff probably, but like I was way too cool for it at the same time. Uh, so we, Definitely, we, yeah. we drove down uh, a, for a long time, a dirt road. We went over a bunch of like, um, do you know what cattle grates are in roads? You've seen those I'm assuming. I don't think so. Okay. Where you just like to prevent cows from leaving a field, um, you would uh, just basically make a grate so that their feet would not go over it. They would slip into it. Oh, okay. uh, so cows just don't go through the roads basically. Uh, but went over a bunch of those, which are like an indicator of like, we're going through some crazy ass farmland. We stop at this clearing. We shout, Sui! and like several of us do it. It's fucking <laughs> midnight. We're all smoking uh, Marlboro cigarettes because we're cool. 
and uh, yeah. and sure enough, stuff in the woods starts shaking, and uh, I'll, be, I'll be I'll be honest with you, Chris, I got a little scared. And um, we were talking about telling each other ghost stories on this podcast, and I was remembering this, and I was kind of not rehearsing it, but just going through all of the details. And now I think we were just calling a real fucking pig. Like I think yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was a ghost think you pig might have been at calling all. Calling a real pig. <laughs> Mine is like mine is a similar thing where. Um, when we started Monster of the Week, I told you so many like, oh, yeah, Chris had an experience with Bloody Berry. Like, I had all this bullshit because I grew up in the early 90s when um, I don't know if just in, in my neighborhood, urban legends were popping off left and right. They all thought that they had invented the urban legend. It was not true. <laughs> but I was the youngest kid out of like I had two older sisters and then like all the kids in the neighborhood were older than me. So I was the most gullible and I just believed all the shit that people would tell me. And I had a very active imagination. All that being said, we we're up in a gunquit Maine on vacation visiting a um like a family friend who was staying there and we're all out on the back porch out by this bog it was like really quiet out there it was really cool all the kids are telling ghost stories and then one of them says hey the house next to us uh it's empty like right now because nobody's staying there because the house is haunted and nobody wants to rent it and everyone was like oh that's spooky and then he you know pointed over up at the second story window he's like yeah we always see like somebody standing at the window over there and um, sure enough, a few minutes later, like I looked up at the window and I saw a man standing in the second story window of this uh, supposedly abandoned house. And I remember like jumping up and screaming and telling everybody like, hey, I saw the ghost. I saw the ghost. Um, and everybody was like, yeah, Chris, sure you did. You little, you little pipsqueak. You're full of shit. And um, to this day, I have the like firm memory of my in my head of a man standing like almost like pressed against the glass. But when I think back on it, I was like, that's not a ghost. There was probably just somebody staying in that house <laughs> who's looking out the window at like the, the beautiful like scenery in the backyard. Like, that's probably all that dude was doing. I love that in the modern day, um, or as 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 grown ups, as adults, uh, when we look, think back to these scary stories, it's always just the most like plain thing possible just the most mm-hmm. mundane thing possible like yeah there was probably a dude and if you think about it that's even scarier like there was a dude just mm-hmm. stared at me through mm-hmm. a window and that's terrifying way scarier but all that being said should we uh should we get into hill house we can um eric did write in the reason we usually do this with our patrons autumn autumn declined but eric did write in a um to tell us why he was choosing hill house and i could read that if you'd like me to yeah let's, let's hear it eric said um Okay, fam, I got you. I don't know if that was supposed to be included or not, but I put it in there. Well, too late. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the that's the urban way of saying you know hail and well met nowadays. Okay, fam, mm-hmm, I got you. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to expect going into haunting at Hill House, aside from it being some sort of mystery, and it was spooky. What I got when I finished the first episode was one of the fastest I've ever been engrossed into a mystery, and what I got continuing on was an interesting story about a family, mental health, and addiction. On top of all of this, it's one of the spookiest shows I've seen, and manages to stay that way until the end its depiction of sleep perilous is one of the scariest parts about it as it felt very true to my own experiences it's also a show you can analyze almost every scene from and talk about it making a great fit for a podcast i hope anyone who watches this show because of monster of the week covering it enjoys it as much as i did and thank you eric yeah we, we didn't really talk about that like this is not this is a ghost story uh, but it, yes. but it is at the same time way more about this family it's about family trauma. It's about dealing mm-hmm. with family trauma. It's about dealing with mental illness, it's about dealing with addiction problems. And uh, some of this stuff is going to get really, re- really real. So I think we probably need to issue just a general content warning for stuff like addiction, stuff like suicide, any kind of family trauma. Um, I don't believe that there's 
there's no sexual violence in this of any kind that I can remember off the top of my head, but um, I don't believe so. But no. definitely like um, if that stuff is bothersome for you, if it, if it, um, if you, if it's stuff you don't want to hear about, then just take, keep that in mind that this is a, it's still a horror show. So we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. some, some troubling things. Yeah. Um, Steven on the show says a ghost can be a lot of things, a memory, a daydream, a secret, grief, anger, guilt. But in my experience, most times they're often just what we want to see. Um, which I think kind of applies to the general theme of this entire show. And I don't know if that's from the novel. I know that the opening lines of the show are from the novel. Those very like evocative, you know, no living organism can exist alone or something like that. Um, like Shirley Jackson is a powerful writer. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And she, she nails it. Yeah. I posted that first paragraph in the, um, uh, in the, in the discord the other day, just cause it, it happened to come up on Twitter and it was like, nobody has ever written a paragraph this good. And I was like, Nope, that's true. They have not, they have mm-hmm. absolutely not done that. Uh, and they, um, so yeah, they incorporate that right into the, that's how the, the, the show opens is the character, Steven reading that passage as if it was written, uh, from his own book, the haunting of Hill house. And we're getting this this voiceover as we panned through Hill House. Absolutely, and we're we're introduced in general to the family that we're going to be dealing with. Um, so Stephen is the uh, second oldest. He's the the older brother. Um, Shirley is going. I think isn't I think Stephen's the oldest. Is it? I thought oh, it was wait. Shirley, but then she's like, "No, wait, you're the fucking oldest." Yeah, and yeah, I you're have abs- to act you're, like I am. You're absolutely right. I apologize. So Stephen is the is the eldest brother. Um, uh, Shirley is the second. Um, and you know, these names are not going to mean a lot to you, but, uh, then we have Theo who's kind of just Mm -hmm. the quintessential middle child. She's the middle child. And then we have, uh, Nellie and uh, Luke who are twins. And then both of them are the youngest. And I think that's everybody that's five. Um, yeah, they have moved into Hill house, which is an old kind of dilapidated house that their parents are going to fix up and convert. And if you think you've heard this story before, it's because when Shelley Jack, uh, Shirley Jackson wrote the haunting of Hill house, uh, it became a thing and haunted houses mm-hmm. are definitely a thing. Uh, the house, the sets on this, in the show are absolutely gorgeous. Like they spare Incredible. no expense and just making this feel as realistic as you could make a super old house. Look, uh, it's, and everything feels so huge absolutely usually when 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 you look at hard look at haunted houses it's all, all about confined spaces and like tight corridors and like that does sort of exist here but in this first scene we see the kids go back and forth and we'll talk about that in a second but when the dad gets out of bed he he checks to see one of the doors uh he puts his hand against it and this door is twice the size of this man he looks like a doll in a dollhouse um because hill house is massive and its presence is massive and it just like looms down over everybody who enters it and it's a really cool thing that i i guess i didn't really notice at first there's a lot of scenes in kitchens and offices and beds and it, that's no big deal but when you see them in these hallways it, they seem like they go on forever and like it's it's a lot there's a lot of statues in this house and uh the, mm-hmm. the intro to the show is a bunch of like screaming statues that are falling apart which i feel like is um a pretty overt reference to some of the mental trauma that these kids are experiencing as they become adults. Yeah. Um, but also just like the general spookiness of the house, like they're all trapped in this maze, but specifically the hallway scenes, you'll see a giant statue just sitting on the side. And then there's room for like three other people shoulder to shoulder. And then another statue. And I'm like, how huge is this house that they made their hallways right. 12 feet wide? Like nobody does that. And it's, it just shows you like how massive this, this house, how over the top it is. And then, and yeah. almost ostentations, even though it's like kind of fallen on hard times. Um, and maybe there is something to the effect of like, well, we see the house from the outside and it looks 
like a very large house. <laughs> it's an old stately manor. Um, but I wonder if there is any kind of um, trick of the mind here. Like when everybody is remembering being in the house, are they remembering it being twice the size as it really was? Um, or is it just, you know, it's one of those kind of stories where inside is bigger than the outside and it just doesn't make sense. And it's because of the presence of, of the house. I don't know. That's not trying to like spoil anything. It's just one of those kind of like visual effects that no matter what it looks like from the outside on the inside, there's, it's cavernous. Absolutely. And that's, and that's another thing is that uh, we mentioned that the show is going to bounce through multiple time periods. Um, it's, I would imagine trying to cover this in our usual way, what we do it scene by scene would be just really confusing because it, it can mm-hmm. at the drop of a hat go from you know the modern day setting to when these people were kids to you know any time period in their lives in between when something significant happened um and it's but we're like specifically going to be concentrating on all of these kids as as they are children growing up in this house and then the present day where they have all grown up some have started families some have gone through some pretty hard times when something traumatic happens at the end of this episode uh, and, yeah. and they all have to come back together again and something traumatic happened back then as well. Uh, but before mm-hmm. we get into any of those details, we talked about the house, that the house is definitely a character. Like that's, I think that is the most yeah. obvious thing we don't really have to say. Um, we're introduced to Steven first, uh, Steven, mm-hmm. the eldest brother. Each episode sort of takes a look at like yes. one mm-hmm. main character. Although this first episode certainly introduces everybody, but it's mostly focused on Steven. It almost introduces everybody through Steven's perspe- perspective in a little bit. Like when mm. we, when we mm. move from other characters or when we move from Steven to other characters, it's almost like he is calling them or talking about them in some way, um, which I think is, it's kind of a neat thing. Um, Steven is, uh, I forget, the, I, I, I am not good at actors' names, but this dude showed up in Game of Thrones. Like, all of these actors and actresses are uh, just phenomenal in this. Like, I don't know how they got this talent. Like, Jesus Christ, what are you doing? Yeah, everybody, I'm trying to think, like, wait, this dude wasn't Game of Thrones. Holy shit. Yeah, he was, Holy shit, he's uh, Dario Naharis. Yeah, yeah he was, he was fucking shit. Dario. Yeah, like, Jesus Christ. Is that Christ. his name? Yeah. That's, he was the dude who was banging Daenerys. Yeah. Holy not shit. The, not the first one. I'm watching one. this show the whole time, be like, why do I know this dude? <laughs> <laughs> not the he was, not the ripped up Dario and the but you know then they in between seasons they changed him from ripped up Bar- Dario to like super suave Dario and this is super suave was, Dario so damn he was banging Khaleesi um, you, man he was in love with that chick um, he was in love with her Stephen uh, is a is a writer um, his first book was a book uh, or his first famous book was a book about uh, what happened to his family which us as the viewer do not know yet. But basically, it's called The Haunting of Hill House, and it's you know a, a story about the things that happened to his family, which we will eventually find out were not only traumatic, but national newsworthy. Yeah. Um, it hit the tabloids. It was a, it was a big to-do that traumatized these kids. Um, and we, we kind of start, and they, they do this really elegant thing of, it, they show him basically investigating a ghost story. And uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a woman who's, who lost her father. She describes her husband. experience, excuse me, husband. She describes this experience of seeing him on her, on her roof and feeling like, you know, raindrops as if he was still dying in the, in the car wreck that he died in and hearing his voice, his mouth open and a car horn come out as if it was real. And he's very calmly taking to get taken down all of these notes. And he says, he's got equipment. He's got some EMF. It's orbing like crazy for anybody who's it's super, orbing like it's, crazy. When we eventually see the EMF, it orbs like crazy. Yeah, uh, you're not going to believe how much this thing orbs. not made out of a Walkman. Um, it just straight up orbing. They, uh, and, th- but they, th- he's, he's very calm and cool and collected about all of this, but you can kind of tell he's holding himself back. Like he's not a, he's not a kook about it. Right. Like he's, he's mm-hmm. very, um, like he just wants to collect the stories. 
and eventually we're going to find out that even though he's one of the most famous haunted house writers in the country and he's well known for this stuff, he's not actually seen a ghost and he doesn't necessarily believe in the supernatural. He just believes in things that we don't understand yet. Yeah. Um, he, he, I, I think when, as we go through this series, I do like Steven and unfortunately I feel like I relate to him in some ways, but he's a huge dick. Um, he's kind of, he's kind of just an asshole. Um, he is, you can look at what he's doing as exploitative because he doesn't believe in ghosts really, but he's going in and like entertaining these people who tell them their ghost stories. Um, and he kind of like, he, he straddles the line of like wanting to think it's all ridiculous, but also this is his career and his life is built on this. And there is a part of him that I think needs to constantly search for something, even though, again, he doesn't ever expect to find anything. And it's it's and I think it's something like uh, we're going to find out, like on the night in question um, where the bad thing happened as they were kids that he he didn't see anything. His dad told him to hold his eyes closed tight. So he never really saw anything. And so it feels like he's still searching for all of this stuff just to mm-hmm. even though even though, like you said, he he doesn't believe in it. And it's almost with like kind of a sadness and he doesn't necessarily condescend to this woman because he mm-hmm. spends the night in her house. Um, he spends the night in the room where she saw her husband, her husband's ghost. And he, he very quickly puts together that she was hearing like it was raining that night. So the water that she felt was a water leak on her roof. And um, there was a stop sign that got stolen. So the honking she was hearing was coming from um, cars running the stop sign and getting honked at for almost accidents. And it's, he's not, and again, not condescending to her when he's explaining these very mundane explanations. He's, he's almost sad about it. Like, Hey, I'm, yeah. you know, I know you saw this and I know you desperately want to see him because it's, it's better to see him like that than it is to never see him again at all. And there's, right. and there's an undercurrent of guilt and sadness and, and, and not remorse. What's the word? And mourning throughout this entire mm-hmm. series. Um, Especially in the second this, episode we're going to be covering. This is this is a sad show. Very um, much so. yeah. Like the the very first scene where when he's a little kid and Steven wakes up because uh, Nellie, his sister, is crying uh, and he goes to her room and she's like, you know, sniffling. And she's just this cute little girl who's like, I saw the bent neck lady and I'm scared of her. Um, Eve, that whole scene was just like super, super sad. And Steven's there trying to be a good big brother. He's like, yeah, I get scared too sometimes, but it's OK. And then the dad comes in, you know, puts him to bed and it's no big deal. Um, but like, yeah, there is just so much sadness and mourning throughout this whole thing. Like the soundtrack, they don't do like spooky soundtracks. It's all just like sad piano. Yeah, absolutely. I neglected to mention it, but, uh, I, w- I do want to shout out one of our patrons, Liam for doing the, uh, and I'll do it at the end of the podcast oh, yeah. as well for doing the, a, a take on uh haunting of Hill house. Um, and yeah, I have, I have some other stuff to say about that when we get to the end of the podcast, but thank you for doing the music for this show. Um, yes. and yeah, they, they they don't use like the spooky violins or anything like that. They do, and they're very restrained with music in general. When music comes in, it's generally like the main theme plucked on a piano, and it's almost always in very very poignant or sad moments. It's never like they again they don't like tense you out just by a character walking down a hallway and like just running up those strings or anything. Like they they just they keep it very reserved, which I can really appreciate. Yeah, um, it it really adds a lot I think to the show. Um, so. Like I wanted to sort of stick to the past at first, but it's kind of hard to. It's kind of hard to just stick to like one segment of this show. Um, for what what we see with Steven here, we see like casual life in this house, like construction. Um, I think during this episode, is this when Shirley and Nell are trying to get the key to the red room, or is that in the second episode? That's in the first episode. Yeah. So okay. 
Um, and I like the way that they do these transitions is really nice. So we see Nell try to call Steven and he sends her to voicemail. And then um, he thinks about Shirley and Shirley, who is a funeral director, who is a, um, a morgue person. Uh, there's got to be a better word for morgue person that I'm not remembering. A mortician. A mortician. Thank you. Um, she's meeting with some new clients trying to plan a funeral and she gets Nell's phone call and she also sends him to voicemail. Um, but then she starts remembering like the time when they were young and they had this, this room that they couldn't get access to in this new house they moved into, the red room with this red door and this very, very creepy uh, door handle that's in the intro of the series. So you know it's going to be important. Um, you know it's going to be some shit. Also, I didn't realize this when I rewatched some of this episode this morning before recording. Um, when in, back, in, back in time, beginning of the episode, all the kids are sleeping. Uh, after the dad tucks Nell back into bed, tells Stephen to go to bed, he goes in and he checks on... Um, the oldest one, or the second oldest, Shirley. He goes in to, to check on Shirley, and Shirley is talking in her sleep, and she's saying, pandas don't like macaroni. Um, and she's just talking nonsense, and he's like, okay. Um, but the first thing that she mumbles when he first walks into the room before he like registers that she's ta- sleep-talking is, she says, dancing in the red room. And I didn't catch that the first time. I just thought that was interesting, um, since we talk about this, this red room a lot throughout the, um, throughout the series. It's important to, I think, point out when these things come up. Um, certainly not something that I would notice on a, on a first run through. There's a lot of very, very subtle details throughout this, uh, throughout the show. Um, there's, it's, it's pretty infamous for having kind of hiding ghosts in scenes. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you, if you're watching the show and you see it kind of a pulled back scene with a static camera and the characters are doing something on the right hand side of the screen, it's, it's sometimes worth it to kind of stare at the details in the background because sometimes you can get a spooky surprise and there will be a ghost. Uh, yeah. I don't think we need to talk about every one of those that happen because I like sometimes it's just like, hey, there's a ghost in this scene. But sometimes it's actually like genuinely spooky. And I, I don't know, like, I don't think we need to get into all of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely just fully see one um, yes. later on when um, when Nell is trying to go back to sleep as a little girl. This she's talking about the bent neck lady who's scaring her in her sleep. Um, and we we see the figure of a a, a woman's face kind of like lean slowly forward and they do a good like i struggled to watch this the first time i didn't have my tv on the right setting so everything was like way too dark to see um i've adjusted a little bit now and it's still really dark but um you can see like the the camera is on now as she's in bed and there's just darkness behind her and then you can just see like subtle shifting of something and then the face slowly comes forward and so even like scares like that i think that they do they do pretty effectively this very much feels um, to get absurdly technical for a minute, like that that episode of Game of Thrones that everybody complained about because it was mm-hmm. so dark. Like it feels like that's what they were going for, and they pull it off a lot better because it's not full of it's not a giant battle scene. It's full of these slow, creepy moments. Like I have a relatively fancy TV. It's it's calibrated to the best of my ability, which is you know based off of a bunch of experts on on the internet, and mm-hmm. and I have like 4K HDR versions of this, which is pretty much the highest quality versions you can get of this. And it still looks extremely dark. It looks clear, like it yeah. looks really, really good. But it's it is a very, very dark show. And I had to remind myself, like, not to crank up the brightness and kind of ruin it. Um, and you know, when everybody when this first aired, everybody was posting screenshots and like circling dark shadows and yeah. saying, "Look at this! This is a ghost." I wonder if any of that is even true. I'm sure that there's some of it, but now I'm thinking like I haven't really seen much of any of it. There's been a few times where I've thought that I saw something, but is that the entire intention? To make you think that you're seeing ghosts in the darkness when nothing's really there, because the imagination is clearly the most lethal weapon, like 
facing these people at, at, at certain times. And the and the I think they very specifically use the statuary in ways to make you think that as yeah. well. Because uh, the scene that we keep going back to, which is the the dad comforting Nell, there's a very static, angled version of that where the 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 dad is on the right hand side of the screen comforting Nell, and if you look over, there's a mirror on the left hand side of the room, and in that mirror's reflection is a statue uh, that's in the hallway, and like the statue. Um, doesn't move or anything. Um, the statue doesn't like, it's not spooky. It's not looking at you. The eyes don't follow you. Like you can barely kind of see mm-hmm. it, but it's just one of those, like, is there something there? Or is there not? And they it's use that to really a good. great effect. Yeah. 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 It's just really good. Um, set dressing mm-hmm. to, to mess with your mind. Cause you might not notice that that is there. You might not really fully register it, but if you're looking at the screen, maybe there's part of your mind that's pulling in. Hey, there's another presence on screen here and I'm, I'm uncomfortable and I haven't really noticed that thing. But I'm uncomfortable because like my eyes have sort of spotted it already, and I I have, haven't registered it yet. Um, so it's just subtle effects like that that I think just again elevate the show and elevate the the, the spookiness. So we've met Steve, we've met Shirley. Um, mm-hmm. We are very briefly introduced to Nell. She's obviously having a very distressing time. We can tell when she calls both um, her brother and her sister. Um, Steve is going to call Shirley at one point and say like, Hey, I tried to call Nell back. Um, but she, she sounded very distressed in my voicemail and I'm worried about her. Uh, and, but you get that you, we get the impression that like Nell is not super well. Uh, she's, she's yeah. always been, um, you know, she, she's always had issues. She's the youngest. She's always been maybe the, the most scared, maybe the most scarred by the events of the, whatever happened in the past. And she's, she's been struggling that with, with that through her entire life. Yeah. And we start to, we get, we get the family strains here because when Steve's calling Shirley, she's like, why the fuck do I have to deal with this? I'm not the oldest. You are. Um, and you can tell like they, they obviously all care about each other, but there are strange relationships. And um, I think especially between Steve and Shirley because of the book thing that we're going to find out about later um, that nobody ever really wants to take responsibility for anything. But in the end, they all, they all do try. Yeah. And there's, and as we meet the, more members of the cast and more members of the family we're going to realize like oh these people grew up the way that brothers and sisters grow up and they become you know sometimes distance but because Mm -hmm. of the things in their past they're still relatively close and they rely on each other for help and that causes other strains and that causes tensions with other relationships and all of these things um then we go over to meet theodora um Mm -hmm. or theo um who we meet in a in a nightclub she's uh notably wearing these really really long gloves um and and like you know not much else <laughs> she's obviously there yeah. to party uh she meets a woman and they very quickly go back to uh theodora's place and have sex and theodora is not super interested in like any other conversation she's just like yeah we came here yeah. we we did what we had to do like see you later and um after she after they finish up yeah she just kicks the girl out in a yeah. very like she's immediately she puts her gloves back on yep. right after and just closes off the walls come right back up whatever whatever they were let down for they're back up again immediately um also she lives in like uh the like garage or like whatever you want to call this um of what's it called um shirley's funeral parlor yes yeah very much so. <laughs> if you ever watched uh six feet under like there was one of these I, like I, I wonder if every funeral parlor has one of these in the back where some person lives because it's it's really random that both of them did and it's so funny this is like the first funeral parlor that i ever went to in my hometown where you know we had my grandfather's wake it looked identical to the one in this show oh weird they all look identical <laughs> to be honest with you like yeah. they all look exactly the same um 
Theodore, like you said, is living next to Shirley. They kind of have a bonding moment. One of the few moments of, of, of humor in this is Shirley going, you know, when I told you you could live here, I didn't expect like the full on pussy parade to come through. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like I have yeah. kids. What, please bring, please bring your liaisons back <laughs> somewhere else. Um, but she's just not like, obviously this is not the first hookup she's had. Obviously this is not the first time she's uh, like, just kicked them out afterwards. Like this seems to be a pretty established behavior. Yeah. Um, they, oh, all their all their names are obviously pulled from the book. That's why they're so weird. Theodora Shirley is Shirley Jackson is the the author. Um, Nell is based on uh, Eleanor from the book. Luke is in there. I assume Stevens in there. That one's not a really a, a huge pull. <laughs> uh, pretty normal, but yeah, that's why some of them kind of have like like where does Theodora come from? What is this shit? It's because it's from the novel. Yeah. Um. We also meet the dad in the modern day. Mm-hmm. Um. He the the. The show tells us he's in Florida um, and he's having nightmares. Like we see a scene we're introduced with him, with him being asleep and uh, we see that he's alone in bed and then it goes to the side and we see a hand creeping over to the side, like and touching mm-hmm. his face. And that's when his phone starts ringing and uh, he wakes up and uh, it's Nell and uh, Nell is in a car. Um, she tells her father that she's uh, at home in bed, but she's obviously not. She's extremely mm-hmm. upset. And uh, he tells her, obviously, this has happened before because he starts saying stuff like, go find your brother. I'm going to come get you. Like They've had situations with this before because so, this feels very practiced. Uh, but when they hang up, he starts packing um, and we are immediately thrown back into. And I was surprised by this on a rewatch because uh, in my head, we found out more about the events of this stuff later. But they actually go right into this flashback of the night in question of like what mm-hmm. they of him waking Steve up you know get up there's a really tense scene about something's at the door we're gonna i'm gonna pick you up close your eyes we're gonna run downstairs when they get downstairs all of the kids are already in the car they jump in and he's hollering ass the, the the mom is somewhere is not to be seen they're screaming the kids are screaming for their mother steve thinks he may have seen her but that's but you know the dad says something weird like that's not your mom like it's very yeah. tense it's super they scary get, yeah i think i think we see in this like a whitish figure kind of coming out of the darkness as um steve is being carried out of the house um something sort of comes around the corner i think at them um but it's it's far in the back uh I, maybe i'm just imagining this i don't even remember um but we we see this almost like specter of something and then when they look back in the window up on the second story there's somebody looking out at them and that's when he says that's not your mom yeah um very terrifying very well shot scene uh just you yeah. know we we have seen you know adults bringing kids to the car to escape the ghost a million times in horror movies i feel like um mm-hmm. and it's always to me it always works really really well like if you've ever been woken up in the middle of the night by your parents and been like we got to fucking go it's terrifying like you, you're a kid you don't have no idea what's going on and whatever's happening it, it you can't readily explain it to a kid when you're panicked so you're just gonna be like shut the fuck up sit the fuck down mm-hmm. and let me and, and let me take care of you later like you just be quiet right now and it's it's terrifying for to do because you're like the adult is acting differently than they've ever had before. Your your dad or your mom is acting like not a crazy person, but they're acting so strangely that it's immediately terrifying for a child. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a lot to take in. Uh, some of the other earlier scenes that we get for, for Steve in this is one is him hanging out in the kitchen, talking to one of the, um, they're, they're like the groundskeepers, Mrs. The man, Mrs. Dudley, woman. Mr. And Mrs. Dudley. Mrs. Dudley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they like, just take care of the house, take care of the, the land they, they have for a really long time. Um, even when the house was abandoned, they just like lived like nearby, like off the property. Um, and they have a conversation about religion, right? Where mm-hmm. she's like, hey, maybe you should, um, 
you should be aware of of some stuff, you know, living in this living in this big spooky house. And then the mom comes in and it seemed like there's going to be a little bit of a confrontation like, hey, don't teach my kid about religion. But that's not really what happens. She's just like, oh, yeah, like all my kids are very aware of everything. I've taught them all the different books, the Bible, the Talmud, like different things. I don't we we're very spiritual. That's what, sort of what she gives off here. She's that kind of a woman. Um, well, and, and spiritual, but also like, you know, I'm also exposing him to Carl Sagan um, and mm-hmm. they, you know, so it's it's. It, it's going to be the first sign that these parents are doing like a superbly great job of raising their children, like having the, in the next episode, the conversations about death and feeling guilty for messing that up, but also like raising Steve and presumably the other children to believe like, Hey, Christianity is there and you're going to be exposed to it. Here's what it is. And also there's all of these other things that you might want to, you know, that just, I'm going to make you aware of this because everybody needs to know about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that goes to show you like how great parents they, they, they try to, that they are actually trying, like they're not just like, Oh, Hey, just go run right. around this house. Like they're actually trying to have these moments. Um, and this is our first introduction of the mom, right? Yeah, we we've like seen her a little bit. Um, she's asleep in bed uh, next to her husband, asking like what's wrong or whatever. When he gets up at the beginning, uh, there's also another scene of her sitting with Nell when Nell is like scared. She has to sleep on the couch because she's afraid to sleep in her room. So the mom is always there, like trying to support her children. Um, I think, oh no, it's in the second episode where we learn that she starts. She gets really bad migraines and like freaks out when it happens. Um, but other than that, she is a very supportive, caring, loving mother. Um, and her kind of whole deal is she is designing their forever home, essentially. Uh, they they go around, they fix up other people's houses and they flip them. But when what when it's all said and done, she wants to design, make the blueprints for and create their own like perfect family home. And, and at, throughout the, the show, we see her like working on this plan. And I just want to say that the actress that plays the, the mom, Olivia, is um, Carla. I might be butchering this Gugino Gugino. Um, I, I know her from like stuff like the Watchmen movie adaptation where she played Sally Jupiter. Um, but she is such a great actress. I you've seen her in tons of stuff. Like she's, she was also in Gerald's game, which is also from Mike Flanagan, uh, which I have not watched because it just, the book Gerald's game sent me into a fucking anxiety attack. I cannot imagine <laughs> what the Netflix series is like. Um, but she was also in stuff like American gangster sin city, but she is, just phenomenal like all of the actors and actresses on this are, are great and uh her and the actress that plays shirley i think are two of the, the greatest on the in the in the entire series it's so good yeah they uh they, they knock it out of the park mm-hmm. across the board um so we met mrs dudley uh there is one other scene where where uh the mother sends steven to go get his brother um and and steven's like oh he must be in the, the tree house the mom's like okay whatever dude um, so Steven goes out to the treehouse and he finds Luke there and Luke is drawing pictures of this girl that he's been seeing on the property. We don't learn too much about like what this is here now, but, um, to, to Steven, he's like, Oh, like an imaginary friend or something like that. Uh, the audience might be thinking, Oh, there's ki- like kids seeing ghosts. Um, what I noticed this time around was that the door to the treehouse was red, mm-hmm. just like the red room. So that was a uh, that was an interesting thing. Yeah, and uh, and it's interesting to note we haven't met Luke in the present yet, uh, but Luke as a kid is a is a very like tiny child. He's got these huge glasses, um, and I just I, for whatever reason like they do a good job casting these these kids to the adults. Like they they seem to match pretty well. 
Um, Luke's is one of those cases where they, and they, they did it intentionally where like this extremely, extremely dorky kid grew up to be like a real like buff dude <laughs> in a way that's very mm-hmm. funny. And mm-hmm. like Luke as an adult is going to be a character that's not played like that at all. Like he doesn't, they don't lean into that side of him at all, but it's just a very, like for, it was just a very, like it's, it's humorous, I guess it's, it's almost, yeah. 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 It's sort of like, like Neville's glow up in uh absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I guess we do be uh, Luke in this episode because once, very briefly, yeah, once yeah. Steve, uh, once Stephen leaves the, the 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 woman's house, who he was doing the little ghost story detection, he goes back to his apartment. Uh, we find out through some pretty subtle clues that even though people think uh, his dad still thinks that he's with his wife, uh, he doesn't live with his wife anymore. Like they're having some trouble, so he's on his own. Yeah. So after Nell called the dad, the dad freaked out and was like, "Hey, I think is does the dad already figure out that she was back at the house?" That he, she was going no, to Hill no, House. Because he's on a plane to LA. Like the we we were not there yet, but like in the third or fourth episode, they're gonna be driving around LA together. So that's right. Okay. So yeah, they um he he's coming to Steven saying, like, hey, yeah, uh, I told Nell to, to go to your house. What we know as the audience, I don't know when they say it. It is at some point in the first two episodes where they say when they go out to play, the mom will uh flash the light on the front of the house twice, and that means come yeah. home when they're out, you know, playing in the woods or in the yard or whatever. And when Nell was on the phone with her dad, there are two flashing lights that we can see reflect against her. Um, so that's our clue. I mean, it's not it's not going to be much of a secret for very very much longer that Nell Nell went back to Hill House, um, and there was there was a flashing light to greet her when she got there. And this house is supposed to be abandoned, yeah. so that's kind of a big and deal. And very specifically, um, like, that was their mother's rule. So like seeing that flashing light is a is a call to be like, oh, mom is calling me, which I think is is pretty important to note down. Yeah, because we at this point. There, there is a scene, and I don't know when it happens. There, I think, does Nell go inside the house in this episode? Do we see that? Yeah. So when she calls the dad and gets off the phone, um, she 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 has told him that like, hey, I'm I'm at I'm at home in bed. But when they finally get off the phone, she gets out of the car and walks into the house. Um, but we don't see when when she goes. Yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was gonna say when she goes in there, you know. Do we see dan- we think we see dancing and i think that we she goes inside the red room and i could be wrong about that but right when all of this happens everybody in the family wakes up in the middle of the night and we see all of them they all wake up at the exact same time at like 303 in the morning and this is where i, I think maybe we had seen luke i'm not sure yet regardless we see them all but we don't see the mom she's the only one that we don't know anything about so um, yeah, we saw that's our that's our first glimpse. We meet Luke right before that, and he's essentially robbing okay. Stephen. Like Stephen's going to his apartment, and and Luke is coming out with like a a, a a camera, a digital camera, and an iPad. And Stephen's like, "Look, man, I'll give you two hundred bucks. Like, please give me the iPad back. Like, I, I I need it for work. You can keep the camera, sell it, or whatever. Just like here's two hundred bucks. Like, and and Luke doesn't say anything. Like he tries to say like, oh you know, this is, this doesn't look like what it is. And I'm like, it, I know this looks exactly like what it is, my man. Like you were obviously a junkie and you were obviously like out of rehab and you were obviously like trying to rob stuff for money, even though like, that's not going to like, there's going to be more stuff. There's gonna be more complexities yeah. with Luke. Like that's, there actually is more, there is a lot more going on there. Um, but from Steve's perspective, he's like, damn it. Like they, as we're going to learn in the next episode, they paid for Luke's rehab. It was a lot of money. It was mostly Shirley paying for it. Um, because it was before Steve made it big as an author and had any money. They paid for, for Luke to go to rehab because back then it seems like they were a lot closer as a family and they wanted to um, they wanted to help out their little brother. As we're going to find out 
the book itself is what kind of pushed people apart a little bit. Um, when Stephen obviously was struggling as an author, he got married, was trying to get his life together, and then he writes this book about their experiences at Hill House. And Shirley is not happy whatsoever. She finds it exploitative. She thinks that he's he's selling the soul of their family, essentially selling their story, their private life. Um, and it, he ends up going through with it despite her um, protests. And he offers everybody like, hey, I'm going to give you a cut of like the of the money I make from this because it's everybody's story. It's only right that I give you money for it. But obviously, like Shirley has her pride and she's like, fuck you, dude. Like, you can't buy me off with this yeah. shit. And she's like a real stick in the mud about that. She's not going anywhere on that. Um, and the other issue, the other side of this is and it's mentioned in, in the first scene when when Steve is ghost hunting. When the woman says, I wish your dad would write a book. So this was this was like national news. This this was in the tabloids because this big strange thing happened and the dad refused to ever speak about what happened. So they don't know what happened to the mom. The cops like try to search. There's they're not able to like pin anything on anybody, but it's really, really suspicious. So when Steve goes and writes this book, of course it becomes a bestseller because people love tabloid news. And and when we get that scene of like young Steve in a in a like an office or in a like a conference room with his father and the father's lawyer, the lawyer is begging the father to be like, hey, let let press on on the grounds, like let him come around and take pictures. But like if you don't let them do that, everything's just going to be invented. They're just going to eat themselves and just create these weird stories like this is already done, like in the tabloids and. Like they're getting, and he specifically says, like they're getting all of this from your statement, and it's implied that they're, they, the dad went to the police after he left the house and said some crazy shit, and now he's trying to kind of back it up and say, no, she committed suicide in the house, and I, I ran away. But there's definitely some weird stuff going on because the tabloids are picking up like this house killed my wife kind of thing. So it's real crazy. Yeah. It's real bad. Um, and he has insisted that the house be locked down and nobody go inside. He's like, the police can go in and that's it. Nobody else is allowed in there. So the last thing, um, kind of the, the lead up to the, the ending of the, of the first episode is, um, Steven walking into his room or walking into his apartment and finding, uh, Nellie there, finding Nell there. Mm -hmm. And she's just standing there. She's, she's silent. He's kind of talking to her. Like, did, are you just standing there in the dark? Why did you let Luke just steal all of my stuff? He says, why do you, why did you let Luke loot me? And I'm like, are you? A video game character? Well, that's such a really weird yeah. expression, <laughs> my man. But um, he's not at all weirded out by this because the dad said sent Nell to Steve's house, which he's not living. And Steve, when he found that out, called his he's not his ex-wife, but his wife who he separated from. He called her and said, hey, my dad just sent my sister there. Like, can you send her out to me if she shows up there? Like trying to get in touch with her. I haven't heard from her. Um, so when he gets home to his apartment, none of this is weird. He's like, oh, hey. <laughs> yeah but he gets a phone call and it's from his dad who is extremely emotional and the dad says that um nell committed suicide and um he looks over and nell has disappeared and um, before we know it like nell's face fills the screen and is right in front of him and she starts like screaming without a sound and then her face just starts like making this just starts transforming into this horrible creature and it's genuinely terrifying yeah. Um, when I was Googling stuff, you know, like synopses or whatever for the for the episode, um, there's a lot of images of kind of like the same thing. It's like she's a very pretty girl and they make it into such a like a monstrous, scary thing. And it's contorted with just as much, you know, spooky stuff as it is with just like horrible, horrible sadness. And it's very affecting. It's very, very spooky. 
so um, this is this is the ending of the episode. So I mm-hmm. guess as a, like a quick synopsis before we get into the second one, we've got um, a family, five kids, mom and a dad. Uh, they went through something traumatic at a very young age. They've all grown up to have various issues. Um, Steven is having trouble with his marriage. He's written all of these weird ghost books. He doesn't believe in the supernatural. Shirley is feels put upon for having to basically manage the family, even though she's not the oldest and it shouldn't be her responsibility, but she's just naturally the most efficient at doing so. Um, she's sort of like replaced her mom. Exactly. Yeah. Theo is, is definitely seems like we don't know much about her, the family connections yet, but she definitely seems like the most aloof of the, of the chil- of the mm-hmm. children. And then, you know, Nellie obviously has some mental issues and is going back to this house. that's calling back to her in some way. And then Luke obviously having some addiction issues. Um, and that's going to bring us into the second episode, which I don't actually did not write down the name for. What's the? It's called Open Casket. That's right. And Open Casket. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be dealing with um, a lot of uh, a lot of morgue stuff here. We're going to we're, we're dealing with with the death of of Nelly. Uh, we don't know what led Nell to go back to Hill House and presumably take her own life, but that's where we've landed. And now this episode is everyone coming to terms with that, namely. Surely coming to terms with that as she's the one who herself decides she's going to prepare the body for the funeral, um, which is pretty fucking heavy. And Shirley has some it has some not history with this, but um, they, they do a really good job of of thematically creating her background. Um, mm-hmm. Very early on, we're going to get the scene that you, you talked about a little bit ago of her mom telling her about their forever house and how each house has to have a heart and theirs is going to be the the dining room and because people are going to be able to come into it in all kinds of ways. And Shirley says, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see any of that. Like, I don't see that. I don't, I can't see a heart. I just see lines on the piece of paper. And that's going to be juxtaposed against her preparing um, this grandmother uh, who has passed away. And that's, that's another thing that's been going on is this child who has been kind of seeing his grandmother and refuses to look at her in the coffin uh, or excuse me, in the, in the wake, because he, you know, he he thinks that she's still alive. Essentially, that she's she doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to see her finally. Um, and Shirley is like helping him through this, which is kind of a weird thing. Like, if I was those parents, I'd be like, "Why is the funeral director doing?" This? Yeah, <laughs> but obviously, she's really pretty personal. good at it. Um, and there's going to be a through line here where, uh, you know, she's preparing this 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 woman to look as beautiful as possible, uh, so that they can. Because in her mind, that's the last time you see her is the last time that you form those pictures. You don't you don't see them in the hospital without their wig on or their teeth out, or you don't you 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 form this picture. And this is how you remember them, and that's why this is so important to go have a viewing. Um, and mm-hmm. we're going to find out as the episode progresses that this exact thing happened to her with her mother. She was mm-hmm. terrified to view her mother at the at the viewing when a a, a mortician or a funeral director came over and and helped her through it and realized that and she. And and re- and she realized then like she she says it over and over again like you fixed her like you fixed her oh my god you fixed her because she looked yeah just like the way that she remembered her and not this horrible horrible way uh so I, I Shirley's story in this is just so thematically great and and brilliant mm-hmm. like all of this all of these tiny things that dealing with death um all of the cat stuff which is both so sad and so ty- terrifying at the same time yeah is is truly amazing I I. Just like, and obviously this episode focuses on her, so it, it works the best for her, but wow, just wow. So a big part of this episode, as you've been talking about, is, is surely like dealing with death and helping other people deal with death. And that starts with her finding this box of kittens. I don't know how the hell they these kittens got in this box. I don't think they're in a box. There's just kittens living in like a shed on the property or something that mm-hmm. she finds. And it, it, it she 
becomes determined to take care of them. Also around this time, when, when she discovers these, first she thinks she sees a, a face in, what, a beehive or something uh, like that? A wasp that? nest, yeah. A wasp nest. So the wasps had made a, a giant nest inside the shed, and they made it over the, uh, an old Halloween mask that was in there for some reason. So it looked like there was a human face, face pressed through that, which is, again, just sort of kind of keeps adding to the, you know, things aren't what they seem. Um, you're, you're projecting, you're seeing things that aren't really there. That, that kind of thread runs through this. So she goes in there anyway. And during this time, they talk about how she's been hearing dogs. The kids have all been hearing dogs barking out in the woods. And Mr. Dudley, the guy, the groundskeeper is like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't have dogs. And I actually don't remember at all what this leads to, if anything. <laughs> um, he's just like, what are you talking about? We don't have fucking dogs. Well, and here. it's, it's and then, so suspicious because he doesn't say like, oh, we don't have dogs. He's like, there have never been dogs on this property. Like dogs are not yeah. allowed on this. I don't like, wait a minute. Hold up. <laughs> like That's a little weird. Yeah. Like there's no wild dogs around. There's no coyotes. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Come on, guy. Um, anyway, so they go into the shed and, and they find these kittens that throughout the course of the flashbacks, Shirley attempts to take care of. She feeds them like formula or something like that, um, which is not good for cats. And um, also they are, I don't know, or maybe she gives them milk. Whatever they were doing, Jess was saying, nope, she can't do that as we were sitting there watching that. You got to hurt those cats. You got to stop at that. Um, but well, Shirley didn't have Google because I think it was the 80s. Um, anyway, she, um, she tries to raise these, these cats and unfortunately, she finds like the next morning, one of them died. And I don't know if these were supposed to be like some direwolf symbolism shit where the one dies and, and uh, Eleanor, I don't know, I just called her Eleanor, Nell has just died. Um, I don't know if there's supposed to be some, some correlation there, but she wakes up and she finds that one of the kittens has died. And it's really, really upsetting to her. It's the first time that she's had to, to deal with that. She's just a little girl and she just got them and she was so trying so hard to take care of them, just like. Shirley is trying so hard and later in life to take care of her family and her, you know, her siblings and everything. And it just, something still slips through the cracks. I think, um, I think that there's like the five kittens and there's five of us is definitely like some, like they, they show, they do that because it's like, that's something mm -hmm. that a kid would find fascinating. Like I found five kittens. There's five of us kids. This means something. This is important. Yeah. And, and, you know, George R. R. Martin played with that with the dire wolves. Like, oh, there's, there's even the runt for Jon Snow because, you know, yeah. he's a terrible person that's never done anything good. Um, You're full of it, man. You're full of it. <laughs> but, uh, like, ultimately, none of it matters because they're kittens without a mom. So they, they all, mm -hmm. they all die. And it's more of a lesson about death than it is anything like we are. We are the saviors of mankind, or anything right. like that, which right. I, I think is is interesting. Like, because that's a kid's imagination. Like, if you find five mm -hmm. kittens and you have four brothers and sisters, you're like, oh, now each of one of us is going to have one of these, and like, that's not what happens at all. And it's another, you know, just to extend the metaphor, just like no matter what she did, Nell still died, and no matter what Shirley does, she 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 can't be the one who fixes her whole family. She can't keep everybody safe. No matter what she did, those kittens were going to die. They were very sick. Um, and the, um, the mom tries to really just like be real with her about death. It's like, this is just what happens. We'll give her a funeral. It'll be, it'll be cool. No worries. Um, shit gets really messed up. There's a really like unsettling scene where the mom comes out with this, this nice purple box that she made. They can use it as a little coffin for the kitten. They're going to go bury it, you know, a, a healthy way, I think of processing death, all of this. Um, but right as they're about to put the little purple box in the ground, 
Shirley sees what she thinks is movement in the kitty. And she's like, oh, my God, the, the cat is breathing. It's alive. And she picks it up only to have a bug crawl out of its mouth, which is horribly traumatizing. Um, the cat was still dead. And of course, all of the cats die. And that's that. So we mention all that, obviously. Go ahead. I, I want to just a couple of small things around the scene, because I think it's 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 pretty powerful. Uh, the the purple box in question. Um, there was a scene earlier in the episode where the, the family that she's been helping for their their grandmother to pass away brought uh, jewelry in that the grandmother had so that, you know, Shirley could put jewelry on her for the viewing. And they brought yes. it in a purple box that looks exactly like this. And we, we hadn't seen that yet. So Shirley just freezes and like her husband has to take over and like manage the manage the guy or what have you. And it's just. And then you see that later and you're like, oh, like no wonder, like that would obviously have an effect on you for this, tri- this hugely like traumatic yeah. moment. Um, also, when uh, they are like the way that the parents explain death to Shirley and they, you know, they teach her what a eulogy is. The mom says, you know, mm-hmm. we when all she starts with, like when something and then she stops and she actually like takes a moment. She's like, when we all die we become stories and mm-hmm. you know, we, so we tell those stories to one another so that we can, so that those people can live on. And I think that's like really powerful, especially for a show based off of a book, but also for all of the trauma that they've experienced, considering that their brother is writing these things and they're basically telling the story of what happened to their lives to one another and trying to make sense out of it. And that's just like that, that one little comment just kind of really keyed me in on yeah. some of this stuff in a, in a real big way. I'm glad you pointed that out. Cause I, I kind of forgot about that line, but that that's really good. And um, also, modern day, when she is accepting the purple box, actually, her husband has to step in and take it um, because Shirley, like you said, is frozen up a- around this scene. She also sees somebody like sitting in like the parlor waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he this guy like looks over at her and he like raises his drink that he's holding to her and she sort of like blinks and then there's nobody there. And it's a very brief scene and we have no idea what it means. In fact, the first time I watched this, I actually thought that was the funeral director that she has the flashback about. Yeah, but it's not. It, it's not. Um, so, so Shirley is seeing her own ghosts in, in one way or another. And it's, this is going to extend to one of um, the worst decisions that I think Shirley is going to make. Um, and it's going to be something that exists throughout this episode, which is that she is decides to uh, prepare her sister for viewing. Um, she's going to go get the body. She's going to, you know, do the whole treatment, um, which everybody that hears this thinks is a terrible idea, including me. Like, I mean, like you shouldn't, mm-hmm. this is not something you should do to your sister. Like you have to, yeah. the process of preparing a body for viewing is so invasive and traumatic. And so not necessarily gross. Like, I don't think it's a gross thing, but it's, it is like, you shouldn't have to take your sister's organs out of her body. Like you shouldn't have to do that, but yeah. she has it in her head because you know, her, that funeral director fixed her mom, right? So she says, I'm going to fix Nell. And she wasn't able to fix Nell all this time, so she has to be able to do this. I I think that's really super fascinating. Um, I, mm-hmm. Like, that whole thing just really, really works for me. I know you said something about it. I'm yeah. just, I just had to get that out. So It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. And and Shirley's rattled, so she makes this, this fucking decision. And even, like, uh, when they bring the body of Nell uh, to their house, and uh, Theo is out there standing with them and she sees the body. And she's like, nope, uh-uh, can't do this, which is a super normal reaction. And be like, I don't want to see my dead sister. Thanks very much. Yeah, I'm going to. And she does. She goes and gets in her car and drives away from the property. She doesn't go like in yeah. her house that's not connected to the main house. She's like, I am getting away from this zip code. Yep. Um, And I think, yes, Shirley's like desperate need to rationalize death is actually just kind of fucked up. Right. Like. There's there's a certain level of healthiness to all of this for sure. But I think that like as we're saying, I mean, 
having to be like, oh no, it's okay. I'm just going to make her better. I'm going to do what, like you were saying, like what the, what the funeral director did all those years ago that made me feel better. But like, like dog, that ain't right. (laughs) (laughs) And then her, and then while she's doing it, not only is it like, like a very harrowing experience for her, she also gets a phone call, I think from Steve. And she's like, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm pulling like a bag of our sister's guts out of her chest cavity right now. So fuck off, Steve. Um, that, that whole conversation, that whole conversation is interesting. And I wanted to bring it up because, uh, like Steve is basically being like, yeah, dad's here. We're trying to search from Luke because we found out that Luke has escaped from rehab. He's not in rehab anymore, mm-hmm. obviously. And they have to go find him because he doesn't know about his twins death. Um, but he's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, we're looking around and she's like, you know what I'm doing? I'm taking all of these organs out of my sister. You have to get two grown men to an airport. Just fucking yeah. do it. And then hangs up yeah. on him. And like, he, <laughs> he looks at his phone like Jesus Christ. And like, it's such a window. <laughs> into I owned <laughs> I owned was this me? <laughs> uh this is such a window into Shirley's like she's obviously on the verge of a mental breakdown. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I don't I don't want to use that term very loosely, right? Like that's a very serious accusation. But like she's on the She's term- about well, she's about to to crack. Yeah. You know, she's about to have a break. And uh anybody would under these circumstances. But she's a lot of people, I think, whether they allow themselves to do it naturally or, or they have to like forcibly allow themselves to grieve and to deal with situations, to feel sad. Shirley is absolutely holding all of that off because she thinks she has to be the strong one. And even when her like kids like peek around the door at her, and they almost set this up like it's going to be some sort of a scare. Mm-hmm. When she's in the morgue, you know, trying to make Nell look better. And we see somebody peeking around the corner into the door. But it's not. It's not a scare. It's her kids. And they're really curious. And she's like, all right, like. What do you guys want to know? Like, ask me your questions. The, the first time I, couple- the first time I watched this, by the way, this this reaction was so alien to me. Like, this would, I don't know if it was just my childhood or whatever, but like going to like transgressing on something like this and being caught and like, was it you would just get run off? Like, you'd get yelled at, you'd get run mm-hmm. off. And, like, you know, this isn't for a place for kids. You need to get out of here. But she doesn't do that. Like, she stops and she has this conversation. I, and I love the fact that she stops. She goes, "Okay, what do you want to know?" And mm-hmm. when they ask some of these questions, there's a very honest, I don't know. Like the little girl asks, you know, where is she now? And she says, I, I, I don't know. I can't answer that. Like, I literally don't know. And I'm like that kind of honesty from a parent is, I know that's going to make me sound like I have horrible parents or whatever. And I don't, but like, it was really astounding to me just to be able to hear yeah. someone say, I don't know. I think parents, obviously we're not parents, neither of us. So we, we can't say firsthand. I consider but I think myself the parents your definitely. Father, so I'm, I'm oh, okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thanks, Dad. Um, well, as as my father, it's like you know, you, you probably feel like you have this obligation to keep certain things from me, um, not because you don't want me to know the truth, but just because you don't want me to worry about it. And I actually have like when my again when my when my grandfather died, this was the first person in my life who I lost, and I was you know 11 years old, something like that. Um, I had a lot going on in my life. You know, I had a lot of video games to play. I didn't know. It was like summer vacation and it's gamer time, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all I was thinking about. I was going over to my friend's house and running around all day. And meanwhile, my grandfather was in the hospital dying. And I visited him a couple of times, but I kept being like, oh, yeah, he'll get better. Like, whatever. Like, people get sick, they get better. It's no big deal. Like, it's pretty serious. He's in the hospital. But it was just, I was immature and I just didn't grasp the seriousness of the situation. And then I remember one day complaining about something. I don't know, probably like, oh, there's no food to eat for dinner. Um, like, where's mom? Like, what? When is she going to like make food or something? And my dad having to be like, her father is dying, Chris. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't quite like that. But I remember him like getting mad at me and saying, like, her father is dying. And I was like, oh, what? Like all that time I was just in the dark. I was blissfully ignorant and just like 
just too young to know or care like the reality of the situation. Um, and it was a wake up call being like, wait, what do you mean? He's dying. Like he's, he'll be fine. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, and just having that all kind of like crash down on you is, is weird. It's a weird sensation. And it like, I never, I didn't properly like grieve it for a long time because it was just, I didn't, I didn't know how to, it was weird. It was just really weird. And I think that what Shirley is doing is, um, avoiding having that kind of thing happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, 100%. Um, there's also, uh, another juxtaposition of, you know, while she's preparing her sister, she's, you know, there's scenes of her starting out as a corpse and she slowly, she gets a, picks out a picture just like in the past. She, 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 she put pictures of the cats of the kittens that had passed away in a, in a little uh, scrapbook when she was a kid. And now she's picking out pictures of her sister to use to, you know, make her look as beautiful as possible. Um, but as she's doing her makeup, she flashes back to her wedding, to Nellie's wedding. Um, yeah. Uh, which and, we don't, we didn't, we don't know anything about Nellie really. We don't know that she was married until right now. They, um, uh, there's a scene of her like going through the scrapbook and, uh, and finding like wedding photos from, from Nellie's photo. And I just, like it is, we're eventually going to meet Nellie's husband at some point, um, but it, we haven't met him yet. And it was, it made me think of like how weird it must be to be an actor and be like, okay, like today's job is to put on a wedding dress and take a bunch of wedding photos so that we could use it in a scene that's going to last like forty five yeah. seconds. And like, <laughs> so spend all day doing this with a professional photographer so we can have these pictures, and then we'll we'll just deal with it later because they don't look photoshopped. Like if it's usually no. very very obvious on supernatural like this would be so photoshopped we'd be we'd be making jokes out of it right but like it looks right, like, right. Look like real pictures like that's got to be weird um but anyway like the the idea of sitting there and like putting makeup on your sister when she's has, has been dead a day or two and versus has is in the most joyous moment of her life um mm-hmm. and that funeral flashback we learn a few things which is like there's that tension between steve and and shirley still that he wrote the book because she says she makes a comment of like look at the rich look at the we have a, a like a rich book writer in our in our midst mm-hmm. and nelly says you promise and she's like i'm sorry and then through the window we see luke show up in a taxi cab and shirley goes out there and basically just does not allow him into the wedding um, yeah i don't know if i'm just i was projecting just knowledge more knowledge of the character luke i felt so bad here um for luke and i get i get why she did what she did because she's like you are high as a kite you're not coming into your sister's wedding and and screwing things up and making a scene and you know dealing with somebody who has a drug problem isn't easy i'm sure um i I, and i don't think what shirley is doing here is easy for her to i don't think it's easy for her to say fuck off luke you can't be here um but the more we learn about luke going forward i was like man this sucks like yeah he screwed up he did something he shouldn't have done um but he he did it not not for himself but he i think he legitimately did it because he he loves his twin sister now and he wanted to be there for her wedding despite his um his condition i guess and it is somebody who grew up um around people with addiction issues and as somebody who's dealt like really really directly with some of this stuff um not personally but uh like i've never had addiction issues but with mm-hmm. family members it's 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 incredibly like I could put myself into Shirley shoes so easily. Like right, I've had right. literally had to do this thing, not necessarily at a wedding, but it, you know, you cannot be here. Like you cannot be here drunk or you cannot be here. Whatever it's right. it, it's, it, it makes you feel like a piece of shit because you love this person, but you also realize like you're the person responsible for protecting everybody else from them. And it's, it's really, really hard and it gets to a point and we're going to see that throughout the series where everybody distrusts Luke on everything regardless mm-hmm. of the fact that he and we don't know this yet but you know in the present day 
like it's finally worked. Like he's, he's actually sober, but nobody cares anymore because you're branded an mm-hmm. addict and you have betrayed their trust over and over again. We saw them pay so much money to go into a really nice facility so that Luke could go, you know, try to get better. And like Nell is in the background, like they have horse riding here. This place looks great. Uh, versus, you know, now at this funeral where she says, you know, here's $200 you know, a cab rides 30, 40 bucks. You can go shoot up the rest. I don't care. The store is closed to get the fuck out. And yep. it's, it's, and, and you're right. Like you feel pity for Luke who has to hear this from his family. Well, uh, there's a moment where he like, doesn't want to accept the money because there is that last flicker of, you know, pride and indignation of like, I'm not here because of this. I didn't come here because I just want to get higher or I want money. I'm here for my sister. But then the affliction wins out and or whatever, just the situation wins out and he just takes the money and leaves. And um, I'm trying to think if we've if we've missed anything that I specifically want to talk about with any of the kids. Um, we don't get a lot of we get some Theo stuff here, but it's Theo's role in this so far has just been like, hey, surely you shouldn't you shouldn't like <laughs> do up your dead sister. That's really weird. Also, I'm leaving mm-hmm. like Shirley leaves in every scene that she's in. She reminds me of Sunfire for the X-Men. Every time Sunfire shows up to be an X-Man, he's like, I don't want, I quit. I don't want to be an X-Man anymore. Like it's every single scene <laughs> that he's in. Um, um, yeah, she's, she's definitely keeping her distance from this whole situation. We don't, um, I think we're good on Luke. Um, the, the last few scenes of this episode are, uh, Shirley kind of finishing up with her sister, she has a, a vision of bugs coming out of Shirley's, not Shirley, uh, Nellie's mouth, just like they came out of that kitten's mouth when she was a kid. Yes. That's terrifying. Um, and also like something that I think any person in this position would see, like this doesn't, the show is really, really interesting and scary because a lot of this stuff, like this isn't ghost stuff, right? Like this could just mm-hmm. be like mental problems, not even necessarily mental problems. I guess that's not the way, like emotional stress, right? Like you could just mm-hmm. be causing yourself to see weird shit that, if, that you've been traumatized by currently because you were putting yourself through so much. Uh, and that's what this feels it's, like. Yeah. It's not like it's an active hallucination necessarily, but it's something that is so keyed into like your, your thoughts that you can almost see it. Yeah. Um, I remember trying to describe that to somebody once before, like, oh, yeah, you know, when I was in when I was in college, like when I first lived at college, I was so, so like miserable because I was lonely and I, I, you know, my whole life was changing. I didn't know how to adapt to my changes and I also happened to be really into horror. And I think I was manifesting a lot of negative thoughts as like horror stories. And I was writing little short stories and stuff like that. But I remember telling somebody like, yeah, I could look down the hallway in this in the dorm and I could see this thing like crawling on the wall. And the way that I described it, it was like I couldn't actually see it but I could almost see it, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm dealing with emotional stress, manifesting that through like horror stories to try and, you know, you know, comprehend how bad I feel. And I know I literally didn't hallucinate a monster, but I could see it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's almost like maybe some of that could be what is happening here. Um, and then like the last scene uh, that I have noted down is when Shirley goes to leave the morgue and she shuts off the light and she looks back and there's a second body laying on it. Otherwise, what a table that had been empty mm-hmm. right before this. And the the body sits up and it's her mother and her mother has like these white eyes and she's wearing a nightgown and she looks absolutely fucking terrifying and worse. Yeah. She's carrying the little box that they buried those cats in. And of course, um, like it's a terrifying moment and she flashes on the light and the mom is gone. And like, you're just like, what the fuck? Um, yeah. it's, it's very terrifying. There is, um, I think there's a scene later. Maybe it's earlier. I don't remember. I think it's the end of the episode, right? Where, Hmm. I'm trying to piece together. I know that I know how the episode ends. I know what it ends off on. There's a moment where where Shirley finds her like her husband's checkbook and is like, "Wait, why does he have a separate checkbook from like in like a different account or whatever?" Like, yeah, this yeah. is weird. That happened a little bit earlier. Yeah, 
there's also there's there's also a conversation about like hey we're you're giving away uh like you're selling things at cost to these people and she's like well yeah like i'm trying to help people out and he's like it's not you're you say you're doing this for special occasions but it's over 50 percent of our customers like we're 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 in the black like he insists that Mm -hmm. they're in the black but we're we're losing we're losing money if you keep doing this so they yeah there's also that stress on her mind there's a definite there's a definite family tension there um and yeah so there seems to be a little bit of suspicion building there but i can't remember what the last scene is all i know is that we are in the funeral home or in the house part of it where yeah the last scene is her walking out of her office because uh she has she has a model of the forever house that her her mom had designed um like sitting in her Mm -hmm. office and um as she like walks out of her office and turns off the light the camera is sitting kind of above her desk the the model house is on the left hand side and she's way in the distance like walking up these stairs and turning off lights behind her when the model of the house the porch light flickers twice as if it's time to come home yes um and the the final thing that i i can't remember if we mentioned or not was when the mom was trying to talk to shirley about death back when she was a kid um the mom starts to to freak out and she has what she calls uh her color storm which is the migraines that we discussed a little bit but she has this big sort of episode where she's in the middle of talking and suddenly it's oh oh uh yep and then she kind of gets like really aggravated with with shirley and because she's experiencing a, a major migraine suddenly um, where she would normally see like spots of, of color or a storm of color, but this time it was black. And that's what she says to her husband, which is a, a, a weird thing, I guess, for her to, to have experienced. And if it's, if it's right before something strange is about to happen, I think it's you know, probably worth noting. Uh, there's also a little bit of a tension between uh, that I think I just forgot to mention between Theo and uh, just Shirley in general, where Shirley is kind of rushing through this process and uh, mm-hmm. and not really giving the family enough time to to get there to be able to see the to be able to be there for the wake and the funeral, um, which which annoys Theo. Like even like where she's saying, you know, we don't know where Luke is. Does Luke even know where, if she's dead? And Shirley is like, I don't give a fuck. Like if he's, if that's mm-hmm. on him, like that's his, it's his fault if he doesn't know, but this body was so like, it stayed in that house for a couple of days. So it's eaten up by bugs. Like I'm not going to let her sit in a freezer for days on end just because like we can't find a, a drug addict that got, that escaped from rehab. Um, yeah. So a lot of like real repressed anger coming in to the coming from all of these people, I think, but especially Shirley. Yeah, definitely. I think she's taken on a lot of the family's burden and um, that shows because Steve, he separated himself. Um, and, you know, we don't we haven't even really talked about the fact that he separated from his wife. We don't know what the fuck is going on with, with them there. But it's just like he's not a person who's accountable to anybody else. He, he doesn't seem like he's able to take responsibility for anything. And um, he just he went off. He became successful and he uses other people's stories to, to do that. And. I don't think that he's like a villainous person, but he's definitely somebody who's kind of in his own world, despite everything that he probably should be doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that covers us for, for, for that these two covers episodes. It, yeah. I, um, so just to, just to sum up it again, like all of these people in various places, like we've got Shirley, uh, you know, treating her dead sister with as much dignity as possible and about to lose her mind. Um, mm-hmm. Theo again, aloof Luke in the weeds. Um, Steve, uh, who is, uh, who has said he is with his father, his, him and his father are going to go try to find Luke. Um, and so like it's the dad is also over in LA with them. So that feels like things are, there are scattered and they're about to come together and we're starting to learn more and more history about possibly what could have happened. There's some, there's some creepy stuff. Did we mention that uh, Luke saw a little girl in the woods? Like that's a thing that happens. Um, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some spooky stuff happening, but 
once again, we don't know, especially with the mom, with the introduction of the mom having migraines, uh, we, we, we kind of are concerned of like, hey, maybe maybe this could be all mental illness of some kind that's, that some of these kids have. Like, we, we just don't know. Uh, and it's, I think that writing that fine line between, hey, is this, are, these, are these issues or are these ghosts is really, really fascinating. That's really what pulls me into the, to the series. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, um, that covers those. For the, for the next two episodes, we're going to be watching Touch which I believe is about Theo. And then we're going to be watching the twin thing, which I believe is about Luke. Yes. And um, that'll be on our Patreon. So patreon.com slash monster of the week. Uh, as usual, when we, when we start these little projects, we like to release the first episode free to give you all a taste. So if you enjoyed mm-hmm. this content, you want to hear more from us, uh, you can hear, go to patreon.com slash monster of the week. We have exclusive podcasts there. You can also go to monster of the cool. Listen to our podcast about supernatural the TV show, uh, not just all things supernatural. Uh, and then if you <laughs> enjoy all of that, you might like thinking cool, which is where me and Chris, uh, talk about each and every single individual emojis and funny and weird things happen. Yes. Um, again, if you have something you want us to talk about in these two episodes, feel free to write in on Patreon or discord or, um, do that whole thing. Oh, Let us know. We actually have one of those. I'm sorry. I, oh, we, we should talk well, about well, it. well. Um, Allison be lurking in the Discord. If you come into the Discord, <laughs> you will you will get a weird nickname. By the way, that's that's my yes. job in the Discord. So, um, uh, Allison is wondering if on our first watch we picked up on the uh, like ghost in the sidelines things, like the hidden ghost, uh, before people started talking about them. Um, unfortunately, like the way Twitter works, this was one of the first things that I knew about the show. I was like, I I I'd heard that there was a Honey of a Hill House show coming out. I'd heard like early stuff was like, Oh yeah, this is very spooky. And then like, as soon as it hit Netflix, that was all people were talking about was like, Oh my God, I got so spooked out because I saw this and this and this. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think, I think I knew about it going in because like you said, that was the first thing people were talking about, but I myself saw almost a none of them. Um, despite looking for them, we went back later and like watched a video where like certain things were pointed out, but yeah, mostly just the, the kind of the statue stuff, the weird shapes in the background. That's all I really got about it, uh, out of it. But, unfortunately didn't get to uh didn't get to see any of them for myself like on my own yeah so thank you allison and if you uh thank if you, you have your own questions or comments or thoughts or threads or if you see something in the background of a certain scene like you just want to tell us about it go right ahead yeah yeah absolutely if like like sending in your 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 most spookiest of stories for this stuff um and i'd actually be like i don't know where we would fit them in the podcast but if you have your own spooky ghost stories like send those in as well uh oh, yeah. hit, hit us up in discord you can add us on twitter at motwcast we also have monsteroftheweek.cool slash contact that you can write all that stuff in. Um, and I think that's it, Chris. Okay, I think we did it. Uh, shout out to Liam for giving us the uh, intro music to this. Shouts. Really appreciate it. Liam is a, is a really kind guy. Um, and I'm, I just I wanted to say this. Um, and I've got to go find it in our DMs because it's been a little while. Um, I offered Liam money to do this because I like to pay my friends for their creative work. Um, and he said, he said, I can't take money from you. If you insist on paying me, please go uh, donate to a, a, a childhood and youth trauma charity called futureswithoutviolence.org. Um, and that their little caption is violence against women and children is a human rights violation and a public health epidemic. Uh, learn more about our work to prevent violence by building healthy relationships and communities. So uh, I'm just going to shout that out. I thought that'd be especially on a show about mental trauma and weird kids and childhood drama like that would be a, a good place to put all mm-hmm, of this absolutely and so thank you liam for the music and for the directing direction to the charity we'll have a link to that in the show notes and uh next time episodes three and four Ooh. Ooh. <laughs>